Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This is chapter four in a temporary reformatting of the show. In each episode, I'm reaching out to members of the community, over the phone, not in person, to hear what's happening in and around the city due to the impact of the coronavirus. But before the interviews, a quick request. I'm working with some WT students to do a demographic survey of my podcast audience. This project is part of their research methods class. And even though their class is online now, the students still get a grade on this. They need a bunch of responses, and it'll only take you about 60 seconds to complete it. So go to the survey at bit.ly slash surveyhey. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash surveyhey. Thanks for your help. The release date for this episode is March 30th, but the interviews took place prior to that. Things may have changed by the time you listen. Here's the show. Hi, this is uh, Zach Wilson. I'm the uh, executive director of the High Plains Food Bank here in Amarillo. Hey, Zach. Thanks for being on the show. I'd like to hear to start just what the food bank is doing now um, in terms of how the needs have changed just in the past few weeks. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. First of all, and 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 yeah, secondly, just the the landscape of things has dramatically changed um, within these past couple of weeks. Um, just with the the nature of uh, businesses and hospitality industry and restaurants, everything you know, kind of grinding to a, a big halt, and uh, we have seen uh, in most cases. Uh, in one day, uh, what some of some have seen in in one month, uh, just uh, folks um, wanting to know how to you know get assistance. They didn't plan for this to happen. You know they've got some. You know they they just don't have the the funds to to stretch out um, and and they they need certain items and how can they receive help and it's not just isolated to Amarillo it's the entire Texas Panhandle and um, so what that means really for us is um, what we see as kind of two uh, two prong effort short term and long term the short term is where we are now with you know response to the virus outbreak and uh, loss of jobs but also going forward what does that mean long term you know we are going to see definitely some some pretty big significant economic impacts on our area and um, that we now have a whole new set of of folks that that need help that we need to step up and help them and so what that means for us is you know we we really need to uh, you know work with not only just the public but uh, all the entities that are available to us in, in our network here to you know, bring in uh, food and, and, and healthy uh, food items like never before. Um, we've never seen a need expand quite this much. The second highest was probably, you know, 2008 and nine. Um, what happened with the, the recession there and the, the housing bubble and financial market crash? Um, this this definitely tops all of that in just really, you know, a, a span of seven to ten days. Yeah. And so for us, it, it means you know a model change. I mean, we're we're are definitely looking into ways 
not only through all of our partners who we work with in our 29 counties, but also directly what does that mean for us and how can we start to have that impact to people who, who need it most. And it's literally almost anybody you'll talk to is affected by this in one way. I mean, I know that it's hard to find certain items available right now in stores and markets, but, but you know, just talking just today with someone saying, look, you know, literally last week I had a job and things were going well and now I don't. And what do I do? I've never been in this situation before. So um, it's kind of, it's really daunting, and, but at the same time, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great way for folks to, to help, help us step up and, and meet this need as long as it lasts, because unfortunately, I think the impacts are going to be with us for a long while. You mentioned the inability just of, of regular consumers to find certain items in the markets. Has has that kind of ch- supply chain issue been an issue for you, you know, in, in how you've gotten, you know, maybe the regular staples types of food from, from wholesalers? Yes, it, it, it certainly has. Um, you know, just from what has been going on, you know, all around us in uh, in, in the markets and the, you know, the shortage of supplies has really, in essence, clogged up the, the supply chain. Uh, you know, I got asked not too long ago, well, is it, is it cut? Are we in trouble? And I said, you know, I said, yeah, hey, you know, it, it's not necessarily cut. It's just the demand all at once has been a strain on the system. And, and, you know, that, that comes down to, to us, you know, when we have um, retail food donors to us, um, which typically, you know, a lot of product there that we get, some of them are shelf stable and some of them are, are fresh items like meat and deli and produce and things of that nature just, just aren't being donated to us right now because they're all being sold or not available. And then on, on the wholesale side, you know, we, we've, we've seen in those discussions is, you know, well, hey, we've, we had to shift in the system and, and we're, you know, allocating only so much to this you know, to the retail side and, and, you know, we've, we've got to help replenish the, the chain here before we can move forward. And, and talking with colleagues from all over the state, um, every single one of them is, uh, of our fellow food banks actually is going through this, whether it be as large as Houston, you know, all the way down to middle size, like Amarillo, and then some of the very smaller markets like, like Abilene and, and San Angelo, they're still they're all seeing this. It's it's all kind of crunched. And um, the way I see it is, it, it's not a matter of if. It's a, it's a win. You know, when things get get cleared up and start flowing again. But that definitely has impacted us and what uh, we're able to bring in at the moment. Um, but we have other you know services that we're that we're shifting to, such as a direct meal service that we've partnered with uh, Amarillo Independent School District to, to come in and, and have a, a lot of grab-and-go drop-off sites for uh, these ready-to-go hot meals um, to help serve, you know, kids and, and families that way. Um, so it's a matter of when we get that um, unclogged and, and things start flowing definitely more more freely uh, to us, but you know, a strain on the system has definitely impacted um, you know our our ability 
to to get as many resources in here as we've done in the past, and of course the huge spike in demand um, have, have worked against that as well. I know that you've depended in the past, just in your daily operations, on volunteers. What has the social distancing guidelines? You know, people are, are staying home, um, trying to minimize contact. What has that done to how you get stuff done? I mean, have you been able to get around that? You know, it, it definitely has impacted us um, because of the because of the guidelines and uh, everything that we're seeing uh, as of uh, as of right now temporarily. Um, that's that's a function that our our staff um, has uh, assimilated and, and and worked into our our daily routine. And of course, we're a, we're a, a fifty one thousand square foot warehouse, so we we definitely have room to to spread out and everything that we're doing, but. Um, it, it just shows you when you, you rely on so many hands a month, you know, our average is between 100 to 300 volunteers a week. And now that has, you know, completely dropped off because of what we're doing. It, it, it's definitely hampered our, our efforts for sure on, you know, getting, getting some things turned around. Um, but, you know, the health and safety as well of staff and our volunteers that have come through here is, and of course those that we serve um, is, is the primary focus for us right now. And if we have to be slow and steady and methodical to get that done, then we will until this thing passes. But um, we, we just had to make those adjustments for now. And um, we know once things get unclogged and, and things settle down a little, then we'll be able to shift back. But it's definitely been a uh, a challenge uh, for us right now, but definitely not something that we can't uh, overcome and work through. What's the best way for local residents who are not in need of your services but want to help? What's the best way for them to help the food bank right now? You know, I know it may, it may sound monotonous because you, you may hear this a lot, but you know, donating financially is is really what uh, helps us at the moment. You know, it, it helps uh, to provide the meals that we're that we're serving while while the kids are are out of school, um, and then it helps us, you know, begin to uh, you know accumulate our our financial resources to when those you know, the supply chain elements are, are definitely made available to us, then we can begin our long-term recovery efforts and get more food in here. And so, you know, hpfb.org is our website and donate now or hpfb.org forward slash donate. That helps us right then and, uh, and, and it helps us to continue and uh, help us uh, on the short term and the long term. That, that's, the, that's the best, safest and easiest way to, to help us out. Okay, Zach, my last question is, what is something that's giving you hope right now? What what reasons do you see for optimism for the future? You know, I think just simply, number one, the area that we live, you know, the Texas Panhandle, we've, we've worked through so much um, together as a, as a community, and um, everyone uh, is... is uh, you know, willing to help out in, in every way that they, you know, that they can, they can do right now. And, and I've got so, so much feedback saying, you know, Hey, we, we're ready to go, um, whenever, you know, things, uh, you know, kind of loosen or lighten up a little bit that we, we, we all can help out and just the random acts of kindness, um, that, that we're seeing, we, we know that there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of uh, strain and stress and um, everything on everything that that's being caused. But you know, just even today, in, in, in feeding some meals to some uh, some kiddos in a, in a drive-through model, dropping off you know a grab-and-go um, supper to them, they, you know, smiling and saying thank you, you know, for we really appreciate it. And this came from a third grade elementary student and saying, you know, we appreciate you. And that's enough strength to power me through uh, anything. And just the fact that I know that, you know, our community um, will pull together and, you know, help us all through this. And that's not just cliche. We we know that to be fact and um, that we're all just looking to the looking to the horizon and um, waiting to you know uh, move past this and and help each other's neighbor out. That's that's what it's all about. Zach Wilson, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My name is Kirk Corey. I'm an endodontist with Amarillo Endodontics here in Amarillo. Thank thank you for being on the show. Um, I know that. This this is kind of an odd time for dentistry and and for your practice. And I've I've heard of dentists who are completely shut down, and then others who are continuing to do emergency types of work. So tell me tell me what it's like for you right now. Yeah, as endodontists, um, you know our specialty is is really kind of treating patients who are in pain or in, have infection, um, and so this is really kind of a a normal thing for us to do um for us to treat these these types of, of patients and even more so now with this crisis because so many of the practices are minimizing the number of pra- uh, patients that they're seeing or closing and so we are we are treating emergency cases daily and the, the importance of that is that um we can minimize those patients uh, going to emergency rooms and that's the last thing that the uh the ERs need especially now so it's important that the patients understand that as dentists we're able to triage the patients get them to get them appropriate care and uh you know kind of just help out the overall health care crisis that's occurring right now I know that just in general, you and, you know, within your practice, you probably take a number of different precautions, but, you know, dentistry and endodontics is, is such a person-to-person, you know, close quarters kind of thing. Is, is there something that you're doing now that is different? Have you, have you changed anything for you and your staff? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're adhering to the strict CDC guidelines with uh, proper uh, masks, uh, N95 masks. We're, of course, using uh, throwaway gowns. The important thing to know that in endodontics, when we're doing procedures, we do everything under a rubber dam. In other words, the patient has a, a rubber dam placed on their mouth, and only the tooth that we're working on is visible and isolated. So we significantly minimize the amount of aerosol that's going into the air that obviously is is dangerous for us. Um, So we take precautions that protect us, the the doctors, and our staff. And, 
course, everyone's wearing protective eyewear as well. So you bet. Um, and, and I would say, I mean, we don't depart off of that too far from just traditional treatment, but we are wearing gowns now that are uh, disposable after every patient. And then, of course, the beefed up ma- uh, masks that we're wearing. Have you had any issues, you know, stocking up or finding that kind of personal protective equipment? We have, you bet. Um, we've had we've had some issues, but we kind of s- knew about this ahead of time, so we were uh, prepared to in advance, and we were able to get some of the uh, the necessary equipment, um, the level three masks, and the and the N95. So, um, you know, we're we're a, we're well stocked to date, um, and we hope that that will continue hopefully this will this will be not a long-lived crisis and we'll be able to kind of get back to normalcy are you currently operating at the same capacity in your practice or have like have you gone to staff rotations or some of the other things that that other businesses and other practices are doing yeah we we're not full capacity by any means but we have been uh fairly steady in that we're seeing you know we're we're making sure that the patients have true emergencies that you know their situation um, is going to either is bad or could escalate in no time at all. You know, it's important that that patients understand they might they might not have pain or symptoms right then, but they have a situation that can turn into a, 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 an emergency in a hurry. Meaning that, say, they have an upper molar that has an abscess into the maxillary sinus, where everything we do is bacterial in nature. And let's just say that that same patient is diabetic and has some other underlying medical conditions. If they were to get the coronavirus, or they may even be a carrier, we don't know, and now they have a comorbidity with this bacterial infection, it can significantly change the way this disease process could manifest itself on that patient, taking them from just having a viral load to having a bacterial antiviral load. So it's important that we just don't discount the tooth infection. And we, as endodontists, we can sort of say, well, yeah, this might be quiet today, but this one has a real potential of going south like overnight. So we want to make sure that those patients understand the consequences of no treatment versus going ahead and getting it taken care of now. Okay, and I, I want to switch a little bit from a professional perspective to a more personal perspective. Um, the, the thing I've been asking my guests is what is one thing that's giving you hope right now? So what's something maybe that you've seen within this community or with your patients or staff that, uh, that is encouraging to you? Of course, there's a lot of things. Anytime we have, we go into sort of crisis mode in this country and certainly in this city particularly, we pull together. And we, you know, we come to each other's rescue. And I think I'm so proud of our staff and our team that, you know, they're they're doing what they're trained to do, and they're willing to be there and help these patients and help help you know the community. And that's really, as dentists, that's what we're able to do. And and I'm very proud of that fact. But I'm most mostly proud of our of our team at Amarillo Window because they they just banded together and they're like. We're in it, and we're we're in there every day, taking care of these patients and um, making sure that that we can do our part to help. You know, hopefully, hopefully minimize the spread of this infection and get this thing 
wrapped up and let our healthcare workers do what they need to be doing on patients that they need to be taken care of. Okay, Dr. Kirk Corey, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Jason. Thank you. Well, my name is Benton Allen. I have a joint position as a researcher at West Texas A&M University and then also an engineer at Buffalo Technology Group or BPG Products. Yeah, and I'm uh, Trent Kelly, and I work as an operations engineer over here at BTG Products as well. Okay, Benton and Trent, thank you for being on the show. I wanted to let you talk a little bit about BTG Products and also uh, the the research that you've been doing about the Copper Clean stickers. Um, so, one of you uh, kind of tell me tell me a little bit about the history and tell me about those stickers. Yeah, well, I'll go ahead and take that one. Uh, BTG Products was formed to commercialize technology that was developed in a research laboratory at West Texas A&M. So Trent and I were actually both graduate students right around the time that that this whole thing got going. And so uh, as we were graduating, uh, a company was starting to form around uh, some research that Dr. Emily Hunt had done on uh, antimicrobials. And uh, so we had the opportunity to, to come on board as, as researchers and also as product developers uh, as the company was formed. So right now we have several different product lines at BTG, mainly focused in the oil and gas industry. Uh, we've got some offshore work that we do, but the, the focus of all of the products is really combating microorganisms. So whether those microorganisms are causing uh, microbial corrosion or if they're causing micro fouling offshore, if they're causing uh, damage to various infrastructure because of the enzymes that they produce, we're, we're looking at solutions to, to fight those organisms. Okay, and tell me specifically about the copper clean adhesives and how those uh, are a solution right now with the coronavirus. Yeah, so a couple years ago, like you said, we've been working in this antimicrobial realm for for several years now, um, developing a lot of different products. And we came up with this idea several years ago to look at, um, specifically the first thing we thought of was push plates, push plates on like bathroom doors, you know, and these high touch surfaces that have a lot of bacteria and germs that build up on them um, and then continue to grow on the surface. And so we kind of thought through this and we've been brainstorming for a couple of years and working through um, some kinks in it. And just recently, um, obviously, with the spread of the coronavirus going on, we kind of brought it back up to the forefront, up on the table again, and really pushed hard to, to put together a supply chain of materials and do a lot of testing and um, came up with these, what we're calling copper clean stickers. And what these are is real simple um, copper alloy stickers. So they've got an adhesive backing. You peel it off, stick it onto like a push plate or a door handle or um, a pull bar for a door any of these high-touch surfaces where a lot of people are touching it and spreading these bacteria and viruses. And what it does is it effectively um, kills the bacteria and the microorganisms over time as they, they sit on that copper surface. Okay, and I, I know they've been tested with uh, certain types of pathogens. Have you tested it with um, the actual COVID-19 virus? Yeah, so the EPA has done extensive testing uh, with this specific alloy of copper, uh, and they've approved it, uh, as Trent said, to, to kill uh, five different strains of harmful uh, bacteria within two hours. So uh, this, this list includes uh, things like MRSA and E. coli. Uh, we know that it's highly effective at killing those, and it's registered to kill those. 
when it comes to other microorganisms such as oh, viruses and fungi and things like that, um, research has been done outside of the EPA that says uh, that has shown copper to to neutralize uh, organisms like this. So as, as recently as two weeks ago, actually, the National Institutes of Health released a um, article that's been getting a lot of attention. And in this article, it says that uh, this specific strain of uh, coronavirus lives, uh, I think it's like two to three days on stainless steel. It can live up to three days on stainless steel, uh, up to three days on plastic, can live 24 hours on cardboard, but it only lives four hours on copper. So uh, that, you know, kind of shows the, the proof of concept uh, work like that has been replicated against other strains of viruses. We can't advertise that yet, though, and we, and we don't want to make claims against viruses because we're not EPA approved. So that research is ongoing, and we know that the EPA will be um, looking into those different uh, types of research, and, and we'll be trying to replicate that themselves. So the work's ongoing. Science says that it does work, uh, but uh, kind of the, the jury is still out as far as the EPA goes. Okay, and, and even though you can't make a specific claim in that way, it, it still does have enough benefit, at least with, with other viruses or, or other pathogens, that, that you're deploying these across the WT campus. Is that right? Yes, sir, that's correct. So uh, we are deploying about 100 patches across the campus uh, next week, and then uh, we'll be looking for other opportunities uh, on campus in Canyon and then throughout our local community also to uh, use these patches to protect high-touch surfaces. If local businesses are interested in these, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so we've got um, a website set up where you can go and purchase these right off the website. Um, it's coppercleanus.com, um, or you can uh, find our information on there to contact us as well if you're looking at you know larger purchases, um, you know things over a couple patches. We can get those in place, too. We have... Um, some bulk supplies set up for that as well. So all that's listed on that website, coppercleanus.com. Okay. And guys, I, I just wanted to turn it uh, a little bit more in a personal direction here and just see how the impact of the virus in, you know, on the campus, in, in your daily work life, how that has affected you. I mean, are, are you doing different things now as, as you work? So we're, we're both, uh, you know, researchers uh, in our job title, and we're both a little bit reclusive by nature. So, so you know, working from home and, and virtually, it really works perfect for us. Uh, that's, that's not to negate, though, the, the serious um, harm that's been caused by this virus to, to people that we love and to businesses that we really care about and want to support. So that's really kind of been the biggest impact for me. I'm from Amarillo originally. I was born and raised here. And so, uh, you know, I see, I see how small businesses are struggling uh, to maintain their customers and to maintain their cash flow. Um, I'm really hopeful that, you know, with the right uh, social distancing protocols and things like that that we're putting in place, that we can really minimize that curve and, and get everyone back to work and uh, get this economy going as quickly as possible. Okay, Benton Allen and Trent Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'm Bobby Lee of the Big Texan Steak Ranch, co-owner. Hey, Bobby, thanks for uh, giving me some time today. Uh, I appreciate that. I'd like to hear just what 
has changed with the way the Big Texan has been serving customers over the last week or so? Well, that word customers is a big change on it because there's not a whole lot of customers out on the roads like there was before. It's it's definitely slowed down. We're getting lots of uh, truckers is our, is our biggest part of our business and delivering truck uh, to the truck stops as well as the people that are walking up doing the curbside ordering. And then we're also seeing some occasional orders from the hotels on this side of town. And, and then the RV park has surprisingly been very, very good as far as uh, – uh, people coming through, staying all night and ordering food. So we have a couple things working for us, not as much as we want, but for right now you take it as, as best you can and, and, and make the best of it. I know in, you know, prior to the last couple of weeks, most of your business has been travelers, people who are driving through on I-40, um, tourists, and it, it sounds like that has pretty much stopped. Is that accurate? Yeah, the the number of, of regular people driving uh, will we'll get you know four or five uh, an hour, but it's 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 nothing like. And they're driving through to go to a place, or they're out. Uh, we're selling meat. Uh, a lot of people are coming in buying meat from us. Uh, but as far as the number of cars coming through, it's it's scarce right now. It's and it seems like it's getting less and less every day. And and the only thing that we're seeing is is a lot of the truck drivers coming through that are hauling supplies and. Um, for different parts of the country at different stores. What kinds of things are, like those truck drivers who, who do rely on you for a meal, what are they ordering? Are, are they getting like steaks or are they getting something that's lo- a little bit easier? You know, they're, they're buying the biggest steaks on the menu. Uh, I guess they have a pretty good per diem, and, and most of them say that this is the first restaurant that they've seen open since California or Georgia or Oklahoma City. And it's the first stake that they've been able to buy across the country, and, and they're very, very appreciative of it. But they're, we're seeing big stakes being sold to the truck drivers. Okay. Are they just, like, carrying them out and eating those in their trucks? Is that how that works? We do. We have, uh, we've always had a picnic table seating at the swimming pool. Some of them sit out there. We have some porta-potties that we've rented out in the parking lot that, that they use, but but for the most part, they eat in the parking lot, enjoy sitting outside and visiting a little bit. And once again, you know, with the distancing rule, it's in the winds of the panhandle, which is supposed to be our best defense, uh, it, it plays out pretty good. And I, I just happened to check out your website a few days ago and saw that the 72-ounce steak dinner was also available for takeout. I, I wondered if you'd had anybody take you up on that. Well, we're selling it out the door. We're not offering it as a promotion like it usually is. And we've had about, uh, we average about one to two a day that people buy the entire steak and take with them. Uh, most of them want it cooked. A couple of them have one it raw because they're going to do a family barbecue at the house or, or in the park or something of that nature. Is anybody trying to eat it like outdoors at the, uh, you know, at the tables outside the Big Texan to, to actually do the contest? No, we're not offering the contest right now. We told them that it's temporarily been uh, suspended for right now, and then once we get open back up and the country comes back, then we'll start the promotion again, and everybody's good with that. They're just happy to take your picture behind it and get to enjoy a big, big steak, big juicy steak. Uh, one one other thing I wondered, Bobby, was you know with with the Big Texan being such an iconic destination, are people still you know maybe driving up and taking a photo of themselves outdoors, you know, out outside the front facade? 
you can sit here and watch anybody that pulls into our parking lot. They take a picture, stand in front of the cavern from the place. So thank God that part's still alive and well and, 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 and feeling real good when we see people do that. And once again, how, how grateful they are, the fact that, that we're still open out here and, uh, keeping our fingers crossed. It'll, 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 we'll, we'll get it all back in order. What kinds of things are you telling your employees? I mean, in, in order to uh, to maybe keep their spirits up, or, or to make sure that you know you hang on to this essential personnel for the next few weeks until we get through this. What are you telling them? Well, that's the key thing. The, the, the people that we have on right now are, are salaried people, and these people have been with us some of them for since 1978. They've been with us through thick and thin. They've seen the Vietnam War. They've seen Watergate. They've been with us through all that. And, and, you know, they're, they're hanging on, and we want to keep them because when we get reopened again and everything gets going full again, we're going to need them just like the team that they've always been. So we're hanging on to them. They're getting full salary. They're on a volunteer basis. If they don't want to be here, we fully understand. But for the most part, we've got some of the most great greatest people in the world that are supporting us, and they've got our back, and we certainly have their backs. And the last question, Bobby, one thing I've been asking, you know, people I've interviewed is what's something that's giving you hope right now? What what reasons do you have to to maybe have some optimism for the future? Probably the fact that this whole thing was so questionable as far as what it was, why it happened, why it shouldn't have happened, and that the sooner that we can get out of it and, and believe that we're going to get out of it, is the better. This is America, and like I said, we've seen a lot of stuff in 60 years here at the Big Texan, but we've never seen the country just completely shut down like this, and it's it's unnerving, but we know that the Big Texan has been through fires, it's been through lots of lots of major disasters, and it's still here, and, and we have the belief that two months from now, three months from now, maybe even sooner, that we're going to be open again serving the 72 on state. We've got to believe in that, and that's that's what keeps you going is the belief of the past and what's going to be good for the future. Okay, Bobby Lee, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to everyone who carved out time for the interview. Thanks especially to Angelina Marie for editing the podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show or supporting it financially, please visit patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. The show is made possible every week thanks to my executive producers, Joshua Rafe, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Ryan Pennington, Neil Nossiman, Jennifer Callahan, Corey Burns, Priscilla, Josh Wood, and Patrick Burns. Sign up for the weekly email newsletter at bit.ly slash hey newsletter. This has been episode 133. My name is Jason Boyette. Stay safe. Stay home. Love your neighbor.